Welcome back to Speak Like a CEO, where it is my job to dissect and discuss how the world's top CEOs communicate. My guest today is the impressive Lubomila Jordanova. She's the CEO and founder of Plan A, as well as the co-founder of the Green Tech Alliance. She's also an Obama leader, an MIT under 35 innovator, and a LinkedIn top voice. Together with her team, she helps 1,500 businesses, including many global brands, become more sustainable. Expect to learn how to create 100x partnerships, how companies can avoid accusations of greenwashing, what kind of storytelling can be a catalyst for change. At a more personal level, we also talk about human leadership, the book she recommends to her team, and what Barack Obama said to her at their first meeting. Enjoy the episode. Luba Miller, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So round two between us, I really, really enjoy having you back. I mean, so much has happened since 2019. And obviously, we want to talk about it today. But let me start with a, with a different question. You once said that the biggest asset of a leader is humor. Why? I think when you decide to venture on building a company as a founder, you immediately confront yourself with a lot of different challenges. And having sense of humor, having positivity really allows you to tackle obstacles in a more effective manner. I've been obviously seeing this for the last six years as we're dealing with a topic that is not so straightforward. And this asset has allowed me to make sure that I stay uh, on the more positive side, on the more uh, excited side, uh, even though it has not always been uh, without challenges. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, there's the saying that building a company, you know, means you're always between euphoria and terror. So I think humor can, can help. But how does humor, how do you use humor in everyday life in the office or, you know, meeting stakeholders? I'm lucky to have over 100 people working in the Planet team that are incredible experts in different domains, but quite often they come fairly early in their career to join us. Having a more personal and more non-formatted, uh, professional still yet uh, organized way of communicating allows for you to get to know them a little bit better with positivity, with sense of humor. They're willing to learn a lot faster. And when it comes to external engagements, it also gives you an opportunity to break barriers, which often in the corporate or any business sphere quite often does exist. Yeah, I, I agree. And we also in my team, we always try to, to have a good laugh every day because we're spending too many hours at work in order to be just serious. You know, there's focused work, but there's also always a to, to make room and time for some humor and just talking about what happened on the weekend or whatever it is. Is, is it true, though, that you ban terms like challenge or obstacle from your vocabulary? Absolutely. I think that choosing your words carefully allows you to be a lot more aligned to the outcome that you wish to achieve because, first of all, you're able to express your ideas better to the external world, but also for yourself, you have a cleaner mind that is able to come up with ideas in a faster manner. We are dealing with a really complex topic, corporate sustainability, climate change, and time is of essence. So I try to speak in a clean manner, but also in a manner that is not wasting time uh, as we don't have much. Yeah, yeah, that that's fantastic. So it's probably a good point in time to give some context. So what does Plan A do? 
Since our last conversation, a lot has happened. Uh, we have been always a software company. From today's perspective, the value proposition is a lot more focused on policy alignment and decarbonization. Uh, ultimately, what the software does is processing sometimes even 20 million data points a month to allow for businesses to automatically get a prescription on how they can improve and also to understand what kind of legislation is to be respected, to be prepared for in the form of reports and uh, alignment to what the legislators are expecting. Yeah, so it's both helping companies become more sustainable, but also ensuring they're on the right side of the law, because the law can be quite complex when it comes to ESG and sustainability. Could you give us an example of a company you've worked with and what you've achieved with them? We have so many exciting examples. We now have more than 1,500 businesses that we work with. And We have seen a set of industries, uh, not only working with one. Fashion has been a domain that I have spent quite some time on because I find it really fascinating how many opportunities they have to connect to the values of people, to the expression of personality. One exciting example has been Chloe. We work with them since a few years now. I joined also the sustainability board there last year. And the interesting bit about the approach that Ott, the chief sustainability officer, has taken is that while they're working on this data gathering, the assessment of suppliers that we're also helping with, they have gone above and beyond to introduce even other initiatives. How does this connect to our work? Well, We act as the stepping stone to understand what the data is there to tell you, what the data is also confronting you uh, in terms of the improvements you need to introduce. As a second step, a good client uh, usually is one that decides to go on this transformational journey by introducing changes to the organization and uh, scaling, of course, this sustainability effort, not only within the sustainability team, but across other teams as well. I can give plenty of other examples, even from unfamiliar uh, spots and spaces like food, uh, automotive, uh, finance. Maybe I stop with this one, um, but yeah. happy to dive into other ones as well. Uh, it's super interesting that you pick fashion and also mention transportation, food. I mean, these are the big polluters on the planet. And to be fair, we all use them. So it's not that we can just point fingers at others. It's, you know we are the consumers at the end of the day, but how, how sustainable can these industries be at the end of the day? We have gone through six years of assessment of what sustainability really means, and I believe it's on two levels. One is sustainable economically, uh, and then the other, of course, aligned to our mission as well, is sustainable and on an environmental level. We have been confronted with... Uh, a big assessment of what does it mean for a business to kick off this journey. For some businesses, it's only team awareness. They just have some initiatives internally. For others, it's really about investment into a decarbonization journey strategy where they transform the business at the get-go of this initiative. For others, it's really exposing uh, yourself to external examples of social impact and supporting them financially. I have been assessing a lot of different industries and I think the starting point for them should not be judged on what product they work with, but on the intrinsic motivation that the leaders within the company have. 
a board member, a C-level that is uh, awakened to the idea of sustainability has uh, the better allowance to be economically viable and also competitive because if you follow what the legislation is now prescribing, we're talking about expectations for repairability of clothes. We're talking about a ban of uh, combustion engine cars. We're talking about uh, right to repair for electronic products. This means that we're going beyond these typical reports where you gather a lot of KPIs and we're moving into this actual social impact and social transformation, environmental transformation that a business in any case contributes to. It's just depending on their choice if it's positive or negative. Hmm. Yeah, so it's quite it's quite the journey, right? And they need they need help from Plan A or companies that can actually crunch the data, make sense of it all, and and make sure they're aligned with all the legislation. But let's let's talk about you. I think you know observing your rise in Plan A's ascend over the last five years or so. Um, to me, it's been fairly obvious that you've played a big role in it, and I don't mean to sort of diminish the the role of the hundred plus team members, and but. A company like yours needs a great spokesperson because what you do is neither easy to understand um, because it's quite complex, nor is it inherently attractive for the media or the public, right? Um, sustainability data is, you know, that's a that's a quite a big topic for, you know, a coffee break. So how do you, how have you approached this in the last few years? I appreciate you say that it's not a topic for uh, a coffee session. The truth is, sometimes it's not even a topic for a dinner session. But how, but we, you managed to make it one, so that's <laughs> that's, that's the interesting bit. <laughs> we believed since day one in planning and the positivity element uh, to the topic of sustainability. What does this mean when you consider the? topic of zero waste where you need to explain to people that they need to reduce their consumption of plastic or just altogether reduce their waste. Maybe this doesn't sound so attractive. Uh, when you, however, introduce them to a set of innovative examples that make their life easier and maybe save them time, uh, I'm using the simple example of a renewable uh, uh, energy-powered plant that is producing uh, bottles for water made out of aluminium that allow you to have uh, water all the time with you. Um, it's a matter of understanding how you change habits in uh, people's minds and also how you change habits in companies' minds. Companies are made out of people and the way we've been able to attract so many clients but also so many people working for planning has been through this idea that uh, empowering them to believe sustainability is a vehicle of positive change, allows them to be better leaders, allows them to be more um, economically viable and to be able to survive better uh, in a set of years when things have not been so easy uh, for many. Yeah, I like how you make this approachable and, and tangible for us, um, you know, to move it from the theoretical realm into the practical realm of changing habits. And, you know, storytelling certainly plays a big part in this, right? And I remember your origin story on the beach of Morocco, um, you know, still years later, that clearly resonated with me and I think a lot of listeners. Maybe do you want to um, talk to the origin of Plan A and then how, how your storytelling has developed in recent years because of my impression is it's you know, become better and better. I appreciate you asked this question because the story still resonates with me as it was an aha moment combined with a studious approach that followed after of learning about the science of climate change 
the moment in time when we were having this discussion, uh, Planet was a different company. Uh, I was also a different leader. However, this timestamp of the kickoff of my sustainability journey allowed me uh, to always have a reflection point that I can go back to and know that it is absolutely allowed for anyone that is not even a professional in sustainability, like I wasn't at that time, to decide to commit to a better way of living, but also uh, to decide to commit professionally uh, on contributing to the change of our economy, uh, the introduction of new set of principles of building up uh, your business, and ultimately uh, being able to uh, allow for a community to be uh, built uh, around that. Yeah, and do you just want to recap the story for those who are not familiar with it? Of course. So in 2016, I was spending uh, some time uh, in Morocco to learn surfing, ended up not becoming a professional surfer, maybe this will pick up in the coming years, but decided uh, to go on the first day to one of the most popular beaches. And as the waves were too big, I wasn't able to go in the water. My friends did because they could confront them. I sat on the beach with a book and at some point started looking around and the only thing that I could see was leftovers from uh, packaging, a lot of construction site materials, shoes, and different objects that were showing that humans were there. There was evidence that uh, uh, we had visited. And I stood up, started collecting the trash. Within an hour, I had six bags. And funnily enough, the bags were already available on the beach, so I didn't even need to go and pick them up from somewhere. After this, the journey in Morocco continued. I started seeing with different eyes just the whole environment, which was definitely not well taken care of, but decided to go back to London where I was living at that time. Uh, and even though my job had nothing to do with sustainability, on the side of that, I was watching a lot of documentary, reading books, also allowing myself to dive deeper into the topic to make sure that I have scientific backing of my concern. A year later, I was absolutely obsessed with sustainability. I changed totally. My life became a little bit of a monk as I wasn't going out a lot. <laughs> typical mode. thing for someone that develops a passion for something that is really true and um, for someone that finds their purpose. And within uh, this period, decided to change a lot of things about my life, left my job, left London uh, and uh, kicked off the work of Planet. Yeah, amazing. And a few years later, uh, Obama knocked on your door, right? <laughs> It's been an incredible honor to be one of the Obama leaders. Last year, this is a group of 30 people that get to be selected uh, based on their contribution to society. As uh, President Obama always says, uh, local solutions uh, that have global resonance and global scale, uh, the ones that they support with the foundation, The engagement that I had there allowed me to transform myself as a leader as for the first time in my life I was able to connect the dots between this concern on a human level uh, side to one that was trained and had worked for a long time in business and understand that the KPIs were missing and what Planet was doing was ultimately allowing for a new mathematical model uh, of assessing not even purpose but just impact on the planet, impact on humanity uh, was to be uh, uh, scaled. It was 
incredibly inspiring because all the people that were part of this community, uh, even up until today, give me hope uh, of where things uh, could go uh, if their ideas scale. Yeah. And how, how was the experience with you know, meeting Obama and, and seeing him work up close? President Obama is an incredibly impressive person. The moment when you see him, you start having a lot of immediate uh, thoughts of the topics you want to cover. But given you have a short amount of time, you really need to be structured, disciplined uh, with the words that you choose. I remember it was really funny. Uh, the first time when I met him, I said, uh, hello, President Obama. And the first thing he said was, wow, what a voice. <laughs> so <laughs> breaking the barriers immediately, I laughed. And then we had a short discussion uh, where I was able to express my gratitude for the recognition. It is important to have these touch points with people that have been so life-defining for many, even with before you meet them, because it allows you to know uh, that you're not alone in this vision that you can have a good uh, uh, contribution to society. His story is incredibly inspiring uh, and is one that uh, allows for people to dream that they can make it really big if they are studious, if they work hard, if they're disciplined, and if they believe uh, in other people as well. Yeah, I think he's a he's an incredible speaker, obviously, and he manages to capture the emotions of everyone in the room that that at least is my experience and and you know even speaking to a big crowd capture the emotions um and then make a complex issue accessible and that is a that is a rare ability and i'm sure he's practiced that a lot over the over the decades but to me that seems like a very he's a very rare political talent a once in a generation speaker and politician and yeah i think he's he's uh, he's missed <laughs> i think in in political circles I mean, it's also one of your key challenges, right? It's such a complex topic and you often are on stage or you communicate your LinkedIn top voice, um, you speak at events, etc. How do you communicate when you're on stage? How do you prepare yourself for addressing a big audience? The preparation is always allowing me to understand the audience better and to align my language to what the purpose of the discussion is. It is really important to make sure that always there's novelty in what is being discussed and also there's context that is allowed as sometimes if you're sitting in front of a corporate uh, a group of leaders, they would want to know the return on investment on sustainability, but also they would want to know why does this matter uh, for their team members uh, and even if they've understood it how this can be scaled to be transposed even to their clients and others. When it comes to audiences where uh, green innovators are sitting, people that are building companies, for me it's always really important to give them not only hope but motivation that while the journey of a founder is not always straightforward, it is one that allows for a lot of experimentation that can take you far if you believe, if you are taking care of yourself and if you're taking care of others because it's always a teamwork. I enjoy going and speaking at events because they give me the hope that we're not alone as a company doing the work alongside our clients, but also it gives me hope uh, to 
be continuously uh, engaged with a community that has been, let's be honest, confronted with a lot of changes in the last few years. There's been legislation, laws, and uh, even legal cases on greenwashing. There's been companies that have failed to scale their sustainability efforts, others that have stopped them. So we're always trying to align to this reality. Uh, and I uh, believe that regardless on which stakeholder uh, perspective side you sit, you have benefits of being part of this community and learning from it and engaging. Yeah, you mentioned greenwashing, and of course that's a that's a big topic at the moment in the business community. And companies are, are I'd say, a bit confused or a bit, yeah, insecure how far they can go. On the one hand, they want to obviously talk about the good things they're doing and the progress they're making. On the other hand, they're worried that they will be accused of greenwashing, sometimes rightly, sometimes wrongly. But they're certainly in this sort of, um, you know, caught, caught between these two impulses. I'm sure you get this question a lot, but what do you advise companies to do? Greenwashing is not about uh, a label that has been misplaced. It is about a company that has decided proactively to go out and give to the world a message that is not aligned to the internal agenda. I believe that the most important responsibility that a business has is to be honest and to be able to engage its employees and also clients, prospects on a journey that is aligned to what this company brings as expertise to the table. The topic of greenwashing has scaled a lot because there was a lot of uh, prominent cases related to fashion, uh, related to uh, even automotive uh, finance. And what these cases have been there to show is that the bigger you are, the more visible you are, the more likely it is that you will be uh, caught uh, in maybe misbehaving. I have been contemplating a lot, how do you judge a business? Is it based on where they are today or based on the ambition for tomorrow or based on the lack of ambition. In my view, the truth is somewhere in the middle because uh, we've seen in our cohort of clients a lot of cases where businesses kick off with no knowledge of sustainability, but they have ambition, they have budget, and they have resources internally related to people, time to actually unravel this topic and start building uh, even business opportunities related to that. We've also had cases where compliance has been the kickoff point. Uh, we've also had other cases where businesses would simply uh, uh, have a leader that is so deeply embedded into the topic and he wants this to be part of the thinking of the team members. The most important bit is that this motivation is identified This is what my team does in all the discussions that they have with our uh, stakeholders. And for this to be turned into an opportunity to uh, coexist, to work together. We, however, have also decided quite a few times to not work with businesses. And that's been because they have not aligned to our values. Uh, our most important bit of working with companies of the likes of BMW, Chloe, uh, Visa is that we have seen the transformational uh, wish. Uh, we've seen the leadership that is there. We've seen the resources that are available. And we've seen that there is uh, no island of sustainability, but rather a company that is willing to move forward in a positive way for humanity. Hmm, interesting. What you're saying is that it is the most important thing that companies are serious about the intention. It's not just lip service. They actually 
want to do the right thing and move towards sustainability. And then it's okay if they also talk about it, but the intention needs to be real. Is, is that a fair description? Absolutely. I would uh, absolutely yeah. align with what you're saying. The intention is the kickoff point, and then as we're a data company, the immediate response is the status quo analysis and the to-do list that comes after. The to-do list in our case is a really clear set of actions that a business can take to be able to reduce their emissions rather than simply compensating. It's really about the changes that a business needs to uh, take uh, uh, and introduce and uh, the way that they even communicate themselves to clients because um, there is a lot of opportunities uh, to mislead clients if you're really not first aligned internally. An exciting example is a company in Scandinavia called Ghani. We've been working with them for quite a few years now. They decided to open up their whole sustainability journey on social media. They have a, a Instagram channel called Ghani Lab where you can see the steps of the production, also the failures of some of the products that they've been uh, uh, developing. And that has allowed for a big community that believes in sustainability to become not only followers, but clients as well. It's interesting because that creates accountability and potentially many companies, you know, there are many voices and some are more in favor than, than others. And it's quite interesting if you if you go on this journey in public, then, of course, there's there's a big, a big aspect of, of accountability to move forward and, and stick to what has been um, what has been committed to. Um, you're also the co-founder of the Green Tech Alliance, which combines many, many great companies that working towards a common goal. And I think it seems to me that you like working in partnerships and identify these sort of 100x partnerships that propel the mission forward beyond what a single person or entity can do. Is that is that fair? Absolutely. Partnerships for Plan A in particular are a critical point for our existence. Uh, we have global exclusive partnership with Visa, for example. We have similar partnerships with Vattenfall, uh, also other organizations that are of a smaller size working on carbon removal uh, and other topics. We have a partnerships team internally that is working with niche experts on different topics uh, that can allow for our clients to solve a problem without our product immediately doing that. And the Green Tech Alliance is an opportunity for us to learn from innovators that are even in the hardware space that through their solutions can empower our clients uh, and allow uh, ultimately for this decarbonization agenda to be achieved. I started the Green Tech Alliance, however, not from a commercial perspective. My journey as a founder has not always been incredibly easy. The first few years I wasn't able to find any funding because there wasn't a lot of awareness about the opportunity to create revenue through uh, focus on sustainability. And after one year of suffering and struggling, I decided to put together uh, all of the people that I had met along the journey that have been supporting me uh, to uh, offer this to companies that are in a similar space with a similar mission, working on sustainability for free as a community that they can trust either by you speaking to other founders so that you can learn from one another, either by you speaking to investors um, who can support you financially. Through this now, if I have more than 5,000 members in the community um, and we also have uh, more than uh, a few hundred million that have been through introductions uh, uh, kind of uh, given, uh, offered uh, to uh, the members of the community. This to me matters a lot because I don't believe in the concept of 
competition, but rather collaboration. Collaboration is incredibly important as it allows for the scaling of the solutions related to climate change and sustainability faster. We don't have time. There's five to seven years left until we can really uh, physically transform uh, our economy. And uh, uh, collaboration, in my view, is the only way forward, um, as it's simply just a different domain than maybe the typical industry ones. Well, hundreds of millions in funding for companies in the Green Tech Alliance. That is quite a track record. I mean, you yourself raised, I think, $20 million last year. And that, that of course, is a significant sum. And you, you already alluded to the fact that in the beginning, it was very hard to find funding. I could imagine that, uh, you know, VCs or angels were thinking that you're some sort of NGO that they would be financing. <laughs> so could, could you speak to your fundraising journey? We have been really lucky to, by now, have been able to raise uh, close to 50 million. And uh, what this has allowed us to do is, first of all, uh, beyond the capital, connect with a set of incredible experts from the venture capital sphere, but also uh, founders uh, that have financially supported Plan A, that have allowed for the scaling journey to be possible. I'm really lucky to work with uh, founders of the likes of companies like Flixbus, uh, uh, Vault, uh, Supercell, uh, also uh, uh, Ivan, uh, and many others. And uh, we have investors like Lightspeed, HV Capital, Demeter, Keen, uh, Illusion. And what all of them bring to the table is beyond the vision and the mission, uh, possibility for us to understand how to build our business sustainably, maintaining culture maintaining also confidence in our clients that we're there for the longer journey. Um, and also it has allowed me as a professional, as a leader, to become uh, better at doing my own job, moving from this founder mentality into a CEO one, where I understand how resources are to be distributed, but also how people are to be empowered in the most effective manner. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. And I'm curious, what have you learned on that path um, specifically? You said at the beginning it was very hard, lots of no's, um, but now you've raised 50 million. So what did you have to learn or change that you could pass on to other founders that are sort of, you know, in Lupa Miller's position just five years earlier? Never give up is the motto by which I live. And what this has allowed me to achieve is have uh, discipline, courage, structure, and uh, belief in what we're doing to have a transformative value for the companies that we work with. The biggest lesson for a founder along any journey of building a company is that money should only come when you have validated something. It's not a matter of raising for the sake of raising uh, to be able to pay yourself a salary. If it's about the salary, you can go to an established corporate uh, or established uh, financial institution. When it comes to uh, the mentality that has helped along this journey is really staying positive, taking care of myself, uh, my mental health, my mental fitness as well, and surrounding myself with people that are uh, not only there for the planet journey, but also on the external side that can teach me uh, how I can balance myself and how I can be a good professional that is sometimes um, too ambitious or I don't believe in too ambitious but overly ambitious because I just know that we don't have uh, time yeah uh, you mentioned sort of you're, you're flexing your mental muscles I know you're a reader are there any books you would recommend that helped you on the journey sort of a key read that you gift to other people for instance I recently did something with the uh, uh, 
leaders of the company, uh, selection of people within the company. I uh, took out of my big library uh, 20 books and I gifted them uh, each one uh, different in terms of topics, in terms of uh, domains. Uh, and why I did this was because the beauty of the last six years is that I have become an expert in a field that I had very little clue on uh, beyond belief and love uh, for biodiversity, for nature. Um, and each one of the steps that I've taken has been supported by knowledge that I had to gather externally, uh, be it through experts, but quite often through books. The books that have supported me a lot have been uh, quite geeky. I am a little bit of an uh, expert in finding uh, geeky, interesting books. Uh, they've been specifically focused on water, oceans, uh, in justice when it comes to climate, uh, history, because I do believe that we can learn a lot from history, um, biodiversity, how nature operates, uh, as well as uh, mind shift, motivation, uh, all of these have been uh, part of my journey. I think I can give plenty of examples, but uh, the library is always expanding uh, extensively, and <laughs> even some of the books that are sitting in front of uh, me uh, on the screen that uh, uh, I, I've had the honor to receive as gifts have been uh, part of this, uh, uh, I would say, uh, um, palais of learnings and uh, palais of uh, skills that you gather through external knowledge. Yeah, I Indeed, and uh, we actually mentioned you as, as a great example in my most recent book, um, Message Machine, for your storytelling qualities and uh, sort of, um, you know, obviously you building Plan A, and that, that is certainly a shining example. Uh, are there any books on leadership or communications that you would recommend? Leadership for me is specifically valid as a concept only when you're really uh, learning about two things. One is communication uh, and the other one is uh, about uh, time management. On the communication piece, uh, there's uh, a beautiful book called Nonviolent Communication. I have been gifting this to a lot of people, albeit it might sound a little bit dramatic when you hear the title. <laughs> it is a book that gives you a very simple framework that you can follow to make sure that when you're giving feedback to someone, when you're learning about someone's behavior uh, along the way, and maybe you're not always happy about how they're acting, you can shape your message in a way that they are not going to be disappointed. They're not going to be demotivated. On the time management topic, uh, I would shockingly give an example that has nothing to do with time management. Uh, it is uh, Places of the Heart, and this is a really beautiful book that explains how, depending on where you are sitting in a particular spot, be it in your office or in a city or when you're traveling, the shift of your mind is actually dependent on the place you've decided to spend time in. So I'm sure that uh, when you've traveled, be it on holidays or elsewhere, you immediately have this, oh, okay, I'm in the holiday vibe. I'm now in this different mindset. I think different mindsets allow you to understand like how better to manage your time because when you go on a holiday, you know that there's one week uh, and you need to max it out, you need to relax properly. So switching off is really important. 
uh, I have learned through all the travels that I had to do for Plan A that I'm a lot better at time management uh, if I shift places, but also if I uh, get to be confronted with new realities that I'm not familiar with. And um, I, the whole concept, uh, time and space, uh, uh, introduced in this book and uh, in a really beautiful way, uh, explained even through philosophy, how uh, architecture, how uh, spaces uh, are built um, can allow you to think differently and use your time better. Interesting. Do, do you know the name of the author by any chance? I have forgotten because I've read this book a while, but uh, I'm <laughs> sure uh, we can find this. Yes. The book Places of the Heart is by Colin uh, Ellert, and I read it, I think, now quite a few years back. I've been going back to it in the last few years. Yeah, Interesting. I, I would check it out. And I also have the suspicion that there's a big relationship between time and place in the sense that you may be in one place to be creative, another another place to be productive. I often write on my sofa um, if I want to write creatively, but I'm not really productive on my sofa. So it's a, <laughs> yeah, a small example. And nonviolent communication. Yeah, I mean, that that's an absolute classic. And I agree with you. I think the concept is real and it's valid. Um, I also don't really like the title. I mean, it's, it has historic reasons, right? It, the book derived from a very violent place and time. So it made sense to call it nonviolent communication. But I think today there's a little bit of a gag reflex because people feel attacked that if they don't use that particular method, um, you know, they're communicating violently. And of course, that's not true. So I think we need to distinguish here between the label and the concept behind it. And I think that's that's for another episode we can dive deeper. Now, looking forward, we're at the beginning of 2024. What communications challenges do you see in front of you this year? I live by the mantra that there's no time to waste. Uh, every single life, every single day is an important opportunity for you to positively impact uh, the people that you work with, the people that you have in your community. And in this sense, I truly hope that 2024 will bring us an opportunity to be a, a lot more straight to the point and a lot more capable of leading with uh, this pragmatism of getting things done, uh, ticking off boxes of to-do lists that are actually challenging uh, the status quo in a positive way. And finally, uh, in a way that people have a peace of mind that there's allowance to take some time off because you could be straight to the point, but that maybe allows for the extra five minutes to take some time off as well. Mm. And that is probably also because you've already educated the market, right, with 1,500 customers or clients, uh, you know, clearly people understand the concept and what they need to develop in this area, I, I presume. And what, what can we expect from Plan A this year? This year is going to be incredibly special for us. We're launching a few new markets, Scandinavia, expanding in the UK. Germany has been our HQ for a while. France as well. Uh, we're also actively uh, expanding the team there and our client base. For me personally, it will be incredibly important to expand our capabilities of serving our clients uh, with uh, this actionable uh, mindset where we see tangibly the amount of emissions that they're able to reduce. There's been a lot of prominent examples in the last few years that we've been working with and uh, we're starting to see that they're increasing their ambition. I would hope 
beyond plan A that this community really becomes at the prime of the economic transformation, not only on the business side of our clients, but also on the innovators that are working on sustainability, because simply uh, the statistics are showing that if we have had for the last close to a decade flat GDP globally, uh, we are missing a certain set of KPIs that can allow us to scale our possibility uh, to be more stable in our growth and improvement of the livelihoods, but also of the whole environment if we uh, allow for the assessment of um, some of the data points that we look at on a daily basis. Yeah, well, exciting times ahead and interesting you've seen you're, you're expanding into more into more markets and uh, growing in the markets you're already in. Now, a final question is always, and I'm really curious what you what you answer here is, what, what's your best piece of communications advice? We started on this note, I'll finish on it as well. Stay positive and be positive in the way you use your words. There's a lot of ways in which you can deliver a message to someone. If you decide to do it in a way that it doesn't confront the other person with the reality where they failed, you're most likely giving them the chance to contribute to the solving of the problem rather than feel belittled. It has been an opportunity to learn over the last few years how powerful this is because this has inspired people to join Plan A to get a lot of incredible clients to start working with us, but also to see the transformation that we've hoped uh, we can achieve since 2016. So uh, hopefully this can allow for uh, food for thought for those that are thinking of a new style or expanding on this one. I think that is, um, that's a great advice, especially in your, in your area of expertise, right? Because climate change, sustainability seems like such a big topic for us and it's usually reported negatively in the media right alert alert alarm alarm and people have tuned out and of course there are two different ways to tell a story one is to state the problem which startups usually do especially when pitching which is totally correct in that instance to say here's a problem oh and we have a solution and now let me tell you who we are that we can solve this problem for you and make a lot of money doing it so that's one way of doing it so it's perfectly legitimate to start with the problem now in your case i think you're totally right to look at a different storytelling technique which is more like the hollywood style and there's the hollywood three actor which is excite disturb assure so in a way you have to excite people first with something positive then you say oh yeah but the, the problem's real we have to do something about it and then you go into the solution mode so you assure that if certain things happen and you are part of this journey then we can make it right and it, it, it's interesting how you how you gravitate it to sort of the hollywood structure rather than mm -hmm. the typical startup um pitching structure so uh, i i like that Lubomila, thank you so much for coming back after now almost five years. Incredible journey. And uh, I really, really appreciate it. And uh, it, was, it was always fascinating to follow your journey, which is why you're in Message Machine as, a, as an example, of course. And I really appreciate um, all the great things you're doing out there. And wish you all the best, you and the team, for 2024 and beyond. And thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me uh, at different stages of this journey. I truly appreciate that probably at the time when our first conversation happened, uh, the context was a little bit different and your appreciation of what we were doing already then shows that uh, you understand the value uh, of the mission that we've set ourselves on. Awesome. And when you come back in 2029, you know, <laughs> You will be huge, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> no doubt. All right, thank you. Thank you all for listening. See you all next week when we have another exciting guest. Goodbye.